This is Jason with the NFT Gaming Podcast, and we're excited in season two to dive into the founders' stories in the future of gaming. Remember, this is not financial advice, and do your own research. Now enjoy the show. I always wondered what NFT gaming would look like, and then I got in. Relationship building is the output of sovereignty. The implications are ginormous. Now you're actually making these economies closer to a real-world economy. Welcome to a new way of gaming. One that's owned by the players. Welcome to another episode of the NFT Gaming Podcast, where we are telling the founders' stories that are building the future of gaming. And I'm really excited for this game because I actually know the team, I've played the game. This is a game that we actually met at Consensus in Austin, Texas this year. Yeah, and it's fun to meet these teams in person uh, because you get to see and experience uh, their vision for the game in a very visceral way, right? And and I know as gamers, like, we love hopping on Discord. We love playing with our friends online. But when you get a chance to meet the builders in real life, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, and I think there's uh, the excitement there, too, when you, like, meet and you see the game and you have... Uh, we had a really great, lively conversation and debate at Consensus, and there was like, oh, my goodness, we have to get you guys on the podcast for season two. So I'm really glad that this is happening today. I want to give a brief moment for our presenting sponsor, and then we'll jump right into the episode. This season is brought to you by Revelar, the NFT game engine that allows you to connect your game to the blockchain. Use Revelar's easy APIs to connect your game and focus on building the game that you love. Learn more at revelar.co. Welcome back, everybody, to the NFT Gaming Podcast. Like we mentioned, really excited for this game. We're featuring Supremacy today. They have an AI mech battler type game. And so we've got the co-founders, Alex and John. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Start off by telling us just a little bit about Supremacy, the game, what it's like, and where you guys are at currently in development today. So um, we, John and I have been in tech for uh, roughly seven years, um, and last year we pivoted our entire company to building Supremacy. Uh, it was an idea John and I came up with after a discussion of how do you actually create proper utility from NFTs, and you know how, how can you make... How can you make create something that actually gives digital assets meaning, and um, and then we like the the idea for supremacy kind of you know came out from there. I think after kind of several weeks of um, of of different ideas and 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 just thinking about the general concept of an economy um, to give uh, you know NFTs value. And um, and then how do you drive that economy? What's the what's the impetus behind it? And um, I guess never-ending war is as good a reason as any. And uh, and who doesn't love watching mechs, you know, destroy each other? For sure, I love uh, the movie Pacific Rim because it's just like monsters and mechs just going at it. Yeah, exactly. And um, just rolling back a bit to um, my rant about NFT utility. What a great uh, inception inception point uh, inflection point sorry because I, I remember going on extremely passionate rants about this kind of stuff and it wasn't just last year this has been going on for many years I think you know CryptoKitties was a thing in 2017 2018 right and and even then you kind of 
try to think about what's the point of, of all this. Five years later, we're still talking about it, 2022. And um, yeah, like, like Alex says, you need something wrapping the NFT. And in our case, it's a game and it's, a, it's an autonomous game that has uh, constant conflict. And that, that drives demand to, to basically win over your opponents. Well, and I think as we explore all of these different game mechanics and, you know, pairing that with this new technology platform of NFTs and the blockchain-based protocols behind them, there's a lot of takes on traditional game mechanics that completely change because you have this underlying economy that kind of fuels it or, or backs it. So before we get too deep into the game itself and, and what that looks like, I'd like to dive into each of your perspectives of this founding story. I mean, you've been running a company for many years together. You decide to make a big pivot. Tell us a little bit more about that backstory and and what that looks like from each of your perspectives. Yeah, so uh, we come from enterprise software development background. Uh, the city that we're from, Perth, Australia, is very much a uh, oil and gas and mining heavy uh, city and and and. Um, economy, which I think you, you probably relate to being from uh, Texas, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's very similar. And we, we obviously made a lot of software that uh, caters to that industry. Um, thankfully, that gave us a lot of uh, touch points on 3D and, um, and, and also like high scale systems for um, like actually delivering like 3d worlds and things like that and we also did a lot of supply chain stuff in in blockchain like in cryptos um mainly on ethereum mainnet so we were we were pretty well positioned uh and i think you know ultimately while the business was doing well um it you know it, there's there's not a lot of kind of passion behind enterprise software it's it's, it's definitely more about you know just making making money paying the bills paying the stuff right um, we'd always been focused on developing our own products and, and, you know, we'd put a few things out there to kind of minor success. Uh, but this, like once we, once we started this project, the supremacy project, which is roughly last year, um, we, it was kind of like a Sunkworks project. So we had one of our devs on it and, um, actually John and I kind of, you know, got the, got back on the, on the tools on weekends and, and did a bit of work on it as well. And. It was like a secret project. It was a skunkworks project, but after a few months of development, we're like, "Oh shit!" Like we've we've got something really cool here, and um, we kind of we started showing it to traditional type investors, and they were like, "This is cool. This is cool. We get it." Um, you know, we 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 probably wouldn't fund it, but we think you could get funding. <laughs> uh, and then roughly towards the end of the last year, we decided, "No, this we've got something here. Let's pivot. Let's move the entire company onto it." And, um, you know, in the space of like a month, we, we finished our projects and we, we moved every single engineer onto developing supremacy, um, which is how we were able to knock it out so quickly. So we've been live since February. And, uh, and if you've been following, like the, the amount of updates is intense, like our velocity is, is full on. Um, you know, we, we're putting out a new version pretty much every week and, um, and while, while it did start as like an autonomous kind of almost auto battler, uh, it's closer to a, um, a, an RTS now, real-time strategy. Uh, it's delivered over the browser, but we actually use Unreal Engine 5. And the, um, it kind of, 
happens on a server and we've built our own streaming infrastructure which streams it to you know hundreds of of players who are watching all watching the same game and um they're in three factions and they assist their like their um mech owning friends who are who are trying to win the battles by doing kind of like hunger games type uh gameplay you know hunger games so they're like sending in airstrikes and support packages and stuff like that um it's pretty full on and and like we uh we actually today we got the whole team playing so every single every single ninja our, our studio is called ninja syndicate was playing today and um yeah the feedback is awesome like people actually have a lot of fun and the the, the web3 element the crypto stuff is kind of like it's not relevant anymore but what is relevant is what you're saying about economy every every kind of move you make in our game world every um production facility you work every every task you do in the game you make real tokens you know you're actually you actually the 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 rewards that you're um you know putting in a lot of effort for you actually own them there's something tangible wow what a commitment to move the whole company yeah that's awesome well like i said it came back down to the passion thing and uh when we realized that you know we we like we're able to build a pretty strong community around it just here in Perth, Australia. So not even globally. And, um, and when we did our first token pre-sale, uh, keeping in mind that the, the game was already like, already functional, the, the NFTs were already out. Like we, um, we, we sold quite a lot and, and that was, that was an obvious signal that it's, it was time to just focus on this. Like, you know, screw the, screw the consulting work. Like let's just, Let's be a crypto gaming company, and uh, we went and hired you know, um, AAA gaming people and made sure we covered all our bases. We grew our art team out. Like, you know, we went from having kind of one or two graphic designers who could do you know two D user interfaces to having a whole team of three D modelers and animators and concept artists. Like, it's it's crazy to see uh, how the team has changed in such a, a small amount of time, and um, and. No, no outsourcing, offshoring. So they're all actually in the office, um, like here in Australia. So it's 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 been an incredible ride already. Yeah. John, how was that from a technical side? I know you handle a lot of the technical stuff. Going from just kind of a weekend side project to oh, we're pivoting everybody over. It was uh, an exciting pivot. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what you have is. Um, because we, we were very experienced at software engineering already. So we built apps, we built SaaSs, multi-tenant platforms, scalable stuff, right? But as soon as you have uh, video games, it's a different discipline. You need game engineers, uh, you need asset pipelines, and then you have an extra... Uh, w- the way we present the game is through a streaming infrastructure, kind of like Twitch. We deployed our own. So that kind of stuff, it's... Um, it's not what you typically do for enterprise software. Let's put it that way. So while some challenges were there, it wasn't like, you know, insurmountable. It was it was just a fun puzzle that we, we looked into. And uh, the team we had were already great programmers. So if we just scroll back a bit, rewind to when we were still developing apps for enterprise. Uh, we were already prided ourselves on, on being builders in that space, which is already pretty rare. So we built apps, um, we built robust software, so just kind of moving over to uh, to to GameFi, you're still programming. You're still you're still dealing with scalability issues. You're still dealing dealing with security, and now it's just um it's just fun as well. It's it's, it's a nice it's a nice change. 
I think um, when we have the the game engineers, the game developers, and the software engineers talking to each other and and being able to communicate two separate worlds and serving it through the web interface, so the front engine engineers as well, it creates this nice kind of uh, um, it's like it's like having it's like having multiple teams working together in unison for one target, one goal, and this is something that is you don't see it too much in, in the Web three space. We see a lot of uh, basically very specialized teams. You might have a DeFi team, you might have um, some Solidity smart contract geniuses, but but a full studio like what we've created is, is pretty rare in this space, and it's I'm really it's really it's a, it's a great source of pride for us that we can actually push out games that tie Web2 and Web3 together and all, all built in a vertical, vertically integrated studio as well. I mean, I, yeah, on that, like I, I listen to AMAs of other builders and, and, and I always support other builders, but I hear them say stuff like, um, you know, we've got like three Unreal Engine devs and two concept artists. And I'm like, what? How are you getting anything done? <laughs> you know, we, we like our Unreal Engine teams, like, eight to ten people you know constant like 3d models we have about six of them you know like it's every team is a is a fully fleshed out team the, the building building games especially games of triple a graphics and um and and complex game mechanics is a lot of work for a lot of people um and and you know we've, we we've got the whole the whole nine yards so you know we have a, a game designer as well so Every single one of our mechanisms that comes out has been like run through simulations and and uh, do cool things like create little card games out of um, potential gameplay and see if that's fun. You know, before we even do any dev on it. Um, yeah, like there's there's a lot of work that goes into creating a good game that I think a lot of people in the space underestimate. <laughs> one of the things that we always forget about is sound effects and music for games. It's, it's one of those interesting things. You build all this stuff and suddenly it's boring because it has no music. You start looking into, you know, stock music. doesn't really fit. Uh, so, we you know, we brought in some an actual musician and it changed everything. And it's one of the, it's just those things that you just don't really think about when you start shifting into video games. Yeah, actually sound effects is a big one. There's a lot of, like, um, you know, people using sound effects libraries. And I'm, I'm, to be honest... I'm a bit of a purist and I really don't like hearing the same sound effect in like every single TV show and video game. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Iron Man scream, the, the, the hawk sounds that you always hear as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I know that you were talking about the transition on the tech side from, you know, building this highly secure, highly scalable enterprise software technology and then and going into the gaming space and how how little... Uh, you know, many games actually have robust teams. And I think this is one of the things that we've noticed as well is like even having a game design document, which if you've never built a game before and you're coming into this kind of cold turkey, you know, understanding your game from a very visceral level. I like the example that you guys used, which is like physical cards and like playing the game even prior to doing any dev on it. I mean, we did the same thing uh, with our game and it, it taught us a lot about, okay, what what limitations do, does the physical and kind of web two world have? And then what's possible with web three? And I think being able to start thinking outside of the boxes is really valuable uh, as, as we make this transition into web three gaming. So on that note, 
as you guys have been building out supremacy and uh, the game itself, what were the surprising elements of Web three that you're like, oh, we we can we can do that uh, with with kind of the Web three infrastructure? Um, we so like one of the things we had to do pretty quickly was kind of bring in our own transaction layer, uh, not quite an L two, but very close to an L two, uh, because we we required very fast transactions. Um, uh, we basically had, in, in, it's actually not in the game right now, but we, in early versions of the game, we actually had like a tug of war where you're kind of spending really, 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 really tiny amounts of, um, of our token, very like small micro, micro transactions. And you're doing it like really super fast and you're trying to kind of outpace the other players. Um, which means that we were having to process like, uh, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions a second, which is not something you can accomplish on, on, an, uh, yeah, on, on the blockchain. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, that was, you know, um, one of the things we had to technical problems we had to solve like really early. Um, I mean the, what, what has been really cool about web three is the, uh, the investment that the players feel um, they've personally put in already, you know, like they've bought a Mac, it is theirs, they've named it, you know, they 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 have a an attachment to it. It's not just uh, your standard kind of game inventory. It's it's their Mac, and um, you know, to to kind of even encourage this feeling even more we created an actual 3d hanger that you can uh, visit in the browser and you can walk around and actually look at your mechs in person um you know to get the kind of the scope of how big they are because they're like six to nine stories tall like they're giants and and you know you actually and you can actually open your loot boxes so we do mystery crates for mech sales and you can actually open them in this space and it's an entirely addictive feeling but you really feel like you've got a present Right, you've got this box there and you're unwrapping it. And it's like, oh, there's my mech. You know, like it's a it's a real thing. It feels tangible. It's a an actual asset that you own. And um I don't think you get the same feeling in say Fortnite when you buy a skin or PUBG when you buy a skin. You know, like that really kind of feels like you're just borrowing it from them. You know, they've they've given you a, a lease. Um and then one of the real advantages that we haven't taken advantage of yet, to be honest, but we're, we're, we've got some we've got some plans in the works, um, is uh, taking other games, especially maybe projects that have been rug pulls, and taking their NFTs and doing things around that. You know, like offering their players some kind of um, cool experience by bringing their NFT NFTs in, and um, you know, like either providing value to that community or, or even just say actually giving them the value they they wished they'd gotten <laughs> you know like this this is another thing that you can only do on web3 and you kind of don't even have to ask permission in a lot of ways because it's their assets they own that's it. the main thing like is the permission element because i mean in web2 and, and traditional gaming you can do collaborations i mean we've, we've seen fortnite do some pretty awesome collaborations i think there was um uh, Dragon Ball Z recently, like that's a really cool collaboration, but they, you know, they had to get permission and they, they, like, there was, there's a whole bunch of artists that have worked together to achieve that. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a meeting of two, you know, 
private enterprises where one we can totally write a contract that accepts um nfts from something let's say mechaverse right we can accept their nfts and do something with it you know that yeah they they don't they can't stop us and um and their community you know would be i think pretty excited to be able to do something with their nfts john this sounds like a huge undertaking on the technical side how excited are you for that (laughs) well it's kind of like solves we're solving the problem we identified years ago. So I think, if anything, this is kind of like, this is something we've been working towards for so long. Um, kind of scrolling back to the point about uh, technical challenges and surprises in Web3. I think um, what people don't understand sometimes because they don't work so close to the blockchain is how, how messy it is out there. So we have we're working on two chains at the moment. We have um, BSC for our for our token. We have Ethereum for a um, homestead named Mainnet for our NFTs. And with those two, it's it seems clean, but that's because everyone uses EtherScan, BSC Scan. But if you actually connect to a node, it's, it's a mess. Like there's like uncle blocks, there's orphan blocks, uh, there's missed tra- um, there's like missed transactions that kind of come back in when they sync with other nodes. So one of the challenges we had was actually getting some clean data. So we, we actually, again, what Alex said, we wrote the transaction layer that, um, that aggressively indexes, scrapes, cleans from a node. So that kind of stuff, it's, it's, it kind of shows that uh, the world's not super ready for, for blockchain tech right now. It seems robust, it seems solid, and it's, um, it, it is in the uh, it, what we call eventually consistent way, where over time it eventually makes sense. But it was it was scary in the early days. We, we might miss a block, and then um, you know you have to like go back and insert it in. Um, but lessons learned. It's all good now. We've got a great system. We we have, we have times where the the system will go miss the block, and then you just shut down withdrawals and and um, deposits. So <laughs> yeah, suddenly everyone's scrambling to to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a very um very exciting times, and uh, I'm glad those are over. We now have a robust, reliable industrial strength system and and outside of that we have some cool tech with regards to um, our smart contracts that we've developed uh, a lot of cool uh, kind of how do you explain it just just kind of permissioned withdrawals and stuff uh, if you if you guys ever use Zappa with their um, with the nft mints that they did with their uh, their vaults it's similar to that so we've got a um we, we use some cool signature fancy magical signature crypto tech to basically grant permissions to users on the blockchain because um, one of the issues of the blockchain is that it's a public ledger everyone can run everything on it and um, authorization on that kind of system is, is very tricky so we've done a good job with that as well and we use it to roll out um, future projects that uh, we may or may not be able to talk about later Ooh, future projects. Ooh, I like future projects. That's exciting. I want to address really quick on the technical side with blockchain tech. You guys have a big team, which you talked about a little bit earlier. And uh, that's obviously expensive. And something that Web3 gamers, I think, take for granted is the cost associated to develop big games. I mean, everybody wants these big AAA titles, but I want to be able to play it and have all the features once I buy one NFT and like, it's just, and then I want to earn tokens, you know, out of it. 
how are you guys approaching your tokenomics model and your your revenue model to make sure that uh, your economy doesn't collapse like we've seen some of these other games that maybe did not put enough thought into their tokenomics model uh what's your what's your approach there and how are you guys handling that uh so our token is finite and um our game is a single token system so we've not gone for the standard uh you know dual token um with one being infinite uh we have 300 million tokens and we uh for the most part we sell all of our like uh, mech NFTs and weapons and, and in-game abilities and, and you know, power-ups and things like that, skins, uh, we sell all of that with like in our token. Um, so it's, it's essentially our responsibility to continue growing that GDP, if you will, of our economy. And, um, and you know, by, by doing that, then players have a, a reason to, to hold tokens and accrue tokens. Um, and then, you know, just the, the success of the, the project kind of maintains the, the value and, and, um, and when, when we sell into it, that, that gives some decent, you know, buying pressure. Um, <clears throat> and, and just the finite amount means that uh, it's, you know, it's, it's never going to be, it's, never, it's not a Ponzi system. So, you know, we, um, we don't rely on new players coming in just to grow the value of it. Um, but in, in, you know, in, in saying that, like, it's um it's it's not a it's not fun having to think about tokenomics for a game like it's kind of like you just want to focus on making a fun game right um and, and it's interesting what you say like definitely players and community kind of underestimate you know just how uh, expensive and time consuming it is but at the same time it is really fun being able to include them in the development process you know like like i said we're doing constant like weekly updates and um and we, we're doing it in what we're calling the proving grounds so if you go to supremacygame.dev uh you can um like play in essentially like a, a fake playground and it's always like right on the razor's edge of our development tip so you know we're always testing like um, new features new gameplay new mechs everything here first and um and our community gets to experience it as we do it and provide feedback and and you know be part of the process um that that definitely has its challenges uh you know people there's definitely always going to be people in the community who think that their ideas are amazing and um you should listen to them you know and uh, and they'll be quite disparaging about how you've gone wrong and why you're doing the wrong thing uh, but I think in general, involving everyone um, pays off and, uh, and, and, and you know, your community really feels like, and they are part of the project. You know, they're not just fans on the internet. They, they are actually part of the project. They're, they're involved in its success. And what we find, um, like, really, really interesting thing we find about community is it's often our biggest critics and uh, the harshest feedbackers that um, are actually our biggest fans. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, you know, we're, we're kind of motivated to continue growing the amount of products we're, we're offering uh, our players and community. And, um, 
I, the the NFT sales and token sales that have kind of occurred already, uh, even after the the crash, um, have been pretty positive. So, you know, it's um, we're obviously doing something right there. Yeah, it reminds me of what you kind of talked about earlier with players having ownership of these games, and then they want to come alongside and build with you. And so, unlike kind of our traditional uh, web two model where the studio probably like they own the assets, they own the gameplay, they own everything. So there's no need for players to, to really have that interjection into the direction. Instead, you actually kind of separate those out. And it's really interesting to me to see what happens in the community when you actually give them control of the assets. And then as a game studio, all you really own is the gameplay. Like you're responsible for developing the gameplay and the people with the game assets, they have an idea of what that gameplay should look like. And quite frankly, they probably have a better idea than even we do as game developers sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, they definitely do. And, um, and they're playing it. I mean, it's one of the, so, so like I said at the, the, the start today, um, we had a little event, Ninja Plays Supremacy, right? And, and every single staff member played Supremacy today for at least a couple hours. And, you know, it's interesting, there's a ton of devs that spend, you know, almost their entire waking life building supremacy, but actually playing it. Yeah. Less than you would think, you know, you're, you're so busy focusing on new features and new gameplay and new, new stuff that you don't actually sit there and play it. Whereas the players, I mean, we've got guys on there who are spending like 15, 16 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> like they know what works and, and what doesn't, you know, and, and, and they have a, probably a, a actual bigger insight into the mechanics of the game than you know we can um we can even even like possibly imagine just because they're they're living it so i know that as we as we talk about these players being involved we we certainly see these opportunities for a new iteration on modding or crafting or player-owned assets and all of this IP. How are you guys looking at that with Supremacy long-term in in terms of are there going to be ways that users can contribute into a game of this caliber? Because a AAA title is like, there's a lot of work that goes into these assets. What what does that look like for you guys long-term? Well, I would say even medium-term, we want a uh, creator market where at the very least players can create skins you know, skins are a pretty, like a solved problem um, for providing people with ways to create. Um, the, like more complex assets like weapons and mechs, you know, the, there's there's a lot involved there. And uh, it's kind of one of those dream list, you know, like maybe three years, we've got a system that, that allows that. Um, or you can go a bit more manual where you kind of, enlist teams who create content and it's kind of curated um you know this is something we're looking into as well we've we've got the markets and the systems so it's it's mainly about reducing the kind of admin overhead and um and making sure that people can't insert um insert content into your game that either gets you pulled off steam or pulled up you know put off the playstation store or um or crashes your game, you know, like you can, you know, someone can create a, uh, 
like a mech model that uh, uses so much, so many resources that it, it kills the game. So you, you know, you've got to be really careful about how you're letting content into the game. Um, and that's, I would say it's still not a solved problem. Like there's, I don't think there's um, complex games that allow for this, um, like in an, in a, in a simple manner, you know, you've got like sandbox where you can bring a 3d model in, but really all you're doing is like kind of placing it over there and growing and shrinking it. like, that's easy. You know, any, anyone can do that. Um, but actually like a movable animated, you know, uh, war machine, you know, there's, there's a lot more involved in there. Um, it's definitely something we really want to do and it, it, it grows the economy. You know, the, the more, um, the more kind of like ways you give people to sell into your player base and more things on the other side for people to buy, um, just the more economic activity you'll have. So it's, it's, it's definitely on our roadmap and, um, I would, I mean, I, I think, um, John will probably uh, cringe when I say this, but I'd like to see player created skins being sold in our marketplace, like within a year. Uh, let's, um, yeah, we'll see if we can get that kind of admin side of that down. Um, I'm sure John has a lot to We're say waiting on this. for a reaction. Yeah. From John. <laughs> I have opinions, uh, but, but I'm, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> that's, that's not the thing that excites me as much. I love the idea of skins though. Yeah. So the the player created economy is something that has really changed everything you know roblox and, and all that kind of stuff they have all these amazing stuff but what 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 i look forward to seeing in supremacy is um is actually a a, a mirror of what we have in the economy today now i'm not I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it but the idea is that uh supremacy is inspired by what we have today and what that actually means is not just people creating uh what we have is like skin creation is like artists making art and then kind of selling it but what i want is is businesses organizations guilds so uh i i imagine for instance one of our one of the cool features we're coming out with soon uh soon tm is uh ai's written by programmers that can be replaced in the mech and and this AI may be the next Skynet. It's so damn advanced; it defeats everything. Now this AI is worth a lot of money. So, so and and then it's not just the AI that's worth a lot of money. This programmer knows what he's doing. So, I, I imagine a world in supremacy where the programmers like this create uh, creates a service. They create a business. People pay him money to to write new AIs for for them. Or he he sells he, he resells his AI for further profit, and and other things like um, you know maybe we, we love we love modeling off Evo or Evo Online, and uh, how you have player driven companies. Why not have a, a, a digital marketing agency or, or a real estate agency who who basically provides services? You know, I want players to provide services not because a game tells them to, but because there's an opportunity there, and and from that you get this kind of second layer of player driven player creation and and we just have to create these systems that are autonomous enough and has enough uh demand driving everything and the players will create it themselves so i look forward to that too i was just going to say that that feature that john talked about the um player created ais for max that 
that the, the actual system to support that is done. We just have to actually turn on the marketplace for it. So um, that's probably something you'll see in less than a year. Yeah. Which just ties in to the ownership of these mechs that we were talking about earlier. The idea that that's my mech, right? Like, well, if I can put my own skin that I designed and then I can put my own AI that I built into that mech, then it's really my mech. Absolutely. When you, you guys mentioned uh, EVE Online, that was that was one of the games that I, I first played in, in the sense of connecting to this economic model far before crypto um, was connected to that uh, kind of gameplay. But the, the way that that company built its its internal economy and and almost the like different take that they took on it from uh yeah we're just gonna let things happen and pirates are a thing and stuff can break and explode and you lose real real world money and then the way that they build the game around all of that where it's like this game studio isn't gonna come and save me if i screw up with some real world value in this game i think that was really core to some of the ethos I really enjoyed as a gamer, which is self-sovereignty. Like it felt like there was real risk. There was real responsibility for these actions that I was taking. And the value that that came out of that was, to your point, I think a lot of these services that help mitigate risk or bring extended value from things. And you know, whether you're mining an asteroid and bringing that ore all the way back through the pipeline and the supply chain to build real items, or you're in that ship and you just see somebody come in on radar and you're like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. I better call my friends. EVE Online is a massive source of inspiration for us. I love that you mentioned Risk because there's a game there's a game I enjoy, Escape from Tarkov, very risky. Yep. And... um. The, the basically when you die you lose everything right uh there are there are internal debates at ninja syndicate raging on for months and months about whether or not your mech should have permadeath now that's risk <laughs> now <I don't, laughs> we haven't actually concluded this debate yet but um if you think about it you know your mech gets exploded by a nuke it's probably not salvageable now can the players take that kind of risk oh, we'll see time will tell uh, but it's it's nice to think about um, <laughs> uh, annihilating an opponent's va- um, value asset. But but how much can people take? I'm not too sure. Especially NFTs have this kind of feeling of um, infinite. You know, like you own it infinite forever. Um, although that doesn't mean you can't mutate an NFT. And now it's not a mech. It's a smoldering pile of metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know on our one of our previous episodes from this season, we had Blockstars on. I don't know if you're familiar with them, uh, but that was a topic that we talked about was immutability for NFTs. Like it doesn't actually have to be immutable. Uh, and they're doing something kind of similar where you can you can actually uh, turn your NFT in and say like it's like it's gone. Like it's they burn it off the blockchain. Uh, it's kind of a permadeath. Of, of their NFT assets within their game. And then in return, you get some experience points or something that you can put towards your next NFT. Uh, and it's just an interesting concept to talk about and debate whether NFTs should actually be immutable. I feel like it's a, it's a spectrum, might not be the same for every game. Well, I think it, it, depends on how, it depends on how your players came across the NFT. You know, did they pay you um, 10 ETH for it? Then it probably should be immutable. 
um, or did you just give them in, in a, like a free mint or like a, an event in the game that allowed them to mint it? Then that to me could, you know, you can argue that that um, doesn't have to be infinite. So I think there's a kind of expectation based on, you know, how much you actually gave up to receive the, the, the NFT itself. There's a market for this kind of stuff. You look at high stakes poker, you look at, um, you know, people love high risk, high reward stuff. So I think, I think there's this kind of human element of defeating your enemy, and taking everything he owns. Now to support this and keep the, keep the game fun and not, not, not whale heaven, uh, is, is, is a job for our game designer. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's exciting to see what we could do with it. Uh, at the same time, we need to protect uh, protect our players lest we lose them all. Yeah, well, I I think if you guys can tie in the best elements of Eve Online and Star Citizen and uh, Robocraft and and all of these games that I've played in the past, that I think, man, if I could craft mechs and if I can have robust economies with in-game businesses and like high fidelity, high detail that isn't buggy, maybe leave that part of Star Citizen out. Right? <laughs> like that we don't need any of that. That that is like the the holy grail or the golden uh, age of mech based games. And you guys are on a really incredible start uh, to that. And and I'm so excited to dive in more with this game. Just don't let Jason develop his own AI because our company won't get anything done. <laughs> He'll just be working on an AI for his mech the entire time. <laughs> Uh, that is entirely the vision, um, and uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I, I'll go back to when John and I first started building this thing. Um, you know, we had the three D uh, um, Unreal Engine dev. Um, actually, back then it was Unity. We we moved to Unreal later, but um, he was building the kind of the game you see, and um, John and I were working on the systems behind it. And one of the first things we built was actually, you know, not not kind of really mech related and it was actually a share market for companies within the world and uh, and a derivatives market for resources and things like that it's insane and, and we actually it's not in the game right now you know we're actually not at that level um, the supremacy right now is one element of our kind of uh, full vision which is the battle arena so this is really um, you know you buy your mech you, you kit your mech out you put it into battle you um, you command it kind of like a real-time strategy and uh, and your faction members try and help you win the battle and you know it's a it's a like, pretty fast-paced game but there's not a lot of kind of world depth to it yet uh, we have a lot of lore and uh, concept around it but the the depth is in development essentially um, you know we're, we're building out a full um, like actual social world around it so like players will actually like own properties and build companies and you know like like you say uh bring resources from let's say an asteroid belt so that they can sell it to someone who has factories who then builds mechs with it and you know you've, you've got that economy around mech development and and that is where that destructibility makes a lot of sense as well because you you kind of want to make sure that you know there's a a real purpose to build more mechs um yeah, that's that's that is the vision of supremacy, and it 
in the end it ends up being like uh, four kind of separate but connected games that's what we how we see you know metaverse is like a connected economy that um that means yeah also allows for games written by other devs to plug into our world um you know that that concept for me is what metaverse is not not vr headsets um <laughs> uh but there's the buzzword <laughs> yeah the, the m buzzword yeah exactly one of the things is um the things that alex has mentioned right it it's actually all achievable and it's actually not that far away um it's important to point out that um a lot of web3 projects or a lot of normal projects not web2 projects they're very very pie in the sky they have these crazy crazy dreams and promises um alex and myself we actually have a technical background we built software in in the olden days during black and white tv so we actually know what's what's you know what's possible and and um yeah what alex has said is is, is possible it's it's not hard it's just time we have a lot to build and and as we build more and more it'll kind of um it'll service more and more types of people so i'm, I'm a i'm a factorio guy i love love engineering i love conveyor belts and automation now, so i look forward to the crafting industrial uh mech manufacturing and optimization game uh, some people might not like that that's totally cool some people like to watch the battle arena which is uh, it's like watching the UFC, right? It's like watching spectator sport, watching mechs beat each other up. Also cool. So so we just keep building and and kind of servicing more and more types of people, and and um, the complexity is kind of it's, it's wide. You know, it's it's horizontal. It doesn't get super deep. We just keep making it b- bigger and bigger and better, and eventually it'll be bigger than Ben Hur. So I look forward to that too. How did I know John was a Factorio guy? <laughs> Yeah, I love Factorio. I hate Factorio. I played Factorio for like three months. Two months? I don't. Know, I can't remember because like time just vanished, right? And uh, <laughs> as soon as I launched that, um, launched that rocket into space, I quit and I never played it again. I was like, I'm not coming back. I I, I lost way too much of my life to that game. Like I would go. I'm just gonna play for thirty minutes and then suddenly it's freaking six hours later. Like <laughs> it's a dangerous game for sure. Yeah. Wait. So have you guys played? Have you, have you played Satisfactory? I haven't because I was already bitten. Yeah, John John was like, "You got to play, you got to play," and I'm like, "I'm not, I'm not doing it again." <laughs> as soon as you have 3D, um, like you stack buildings and you get space elevators, oh, dude, it goes insane. And like, again, don't play it if you don't want to waste time because it, it it kind of it scratches this itch that a programmer has. It's like this this itch to organize, to optimize, to to make things fit. And it's it's dangerous, and actually, playing it too much actually wears down kind of like your programming batteries as well. So you might not, you might not have time to build the damn game supremacy because you're too busy playing Victoria. It's like work and play at the same time. Very dangerous stuff. It is it is work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then actually, um, what one one thing we uh, we we neglected to mention is um, kind of next on our horizon is uh, first person shooter side. So. Uh, it, in the battle arena, people will actually be able to pilot the mechs first-person shooter style and um, accept contracts from mech owners, uh, you know, function as mercenaries, and, and actually come in and, and you know, and um, and be the you know, mech warrior pilot that you know, people are used to from mech warrior two and mech warrior three. That's going to be really exciting, and, and just plugging in that 
economy side and they'll go up against those player written ais which is going to be interesting so i know that you talked earlier about these future projects and this seems like kind of a good time of like are these different mini games is this what the future projects that you guys have on the roadmap or is there other things even bigger that you guys are thinking about um well i wouldn't these are not these are definitely not mini games like they're full full fleshed out games in and of themselves they just they, they plug into the same uh environment or world so you know like, from the battle arena and first person shooter perspective you know you'll be you'll be piloting your mech but people playing battle arena will be watching you uh you know and and you know shooting airstrikes at you um so they're two separate games and there's a lot of depth to them but they're they're sharing the same universe and and everything that we're everything that we're moving forward with in supremacy uh fills the same space so you know the the resource game of you know collecting your iron ore from the asteroid belt and and selling it to a uh, mech factory owner who creates the mechs like he's creating mechs to for people to put into the battle arena or um use those mechs to protect his factories you know in in a in a land war that um is closer to a like real-time strategy so you know all these elements kind of plug into each other and um to kind of backtrack to what john said uh this it's different from the say naked ambition that a lot of web3 projects have in that it's all very iterative you know so um you can kind of what we can accomplish small parts of that and continue to build out that world um rather than kind of like a free so a lot, a lot of games, I mean, like you, you mentioned Star Citizen, uh, and I think um, we're all kind of aware of a Web3 project that's very similar. Uh, you know, <laughs> without mentioning any names, uh, you know, their ambition is huge because it's like, it's like their, their concept is um, what if you were a person in the future? And that's the game. And I'm like, that's crazy because that's a lot. And... Who knows if that's even fun? I remember the Star Citizen CEO up on stage going, so you could be a surgeon on a spaceship and you will like sleep in your quarters and then you'll do surgery. And I'm like, that sounds shit to me. That's a job on a spaceship. Like, I get it sounds like a cool idea. Whoa, what are you doing this in the, in the metaverse? But I mean, actually gameplay wise, that doesn't sound fun. So why waste all those resources and time having devs build it? You know, it, every 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 feature you add every every element you create every art you know every every 3d model that an artist has to create like that's that's hours of people's time um and and so you've got to keep these ambitions under control or you you'll either never ship or you'll never ship something that's finished or, or close enough to finished that you know it feels finished to everyone who knows ever so everyone who doesn't know how much you really wanted to put into it <laughs> Yeah, I remember a great perspective from Valheim's uh, small team. Uh, There's five guys who, who built that out initially, and they had mentioned on the hunger mechanic that hunger always felt like this penalty of you're still playing and you need to go and do X, Y, Z to keep playing, right? So it's this really like terrible game loop for a player. But there was, uh, and I think about that with some of the things in Star Citizen, like, okay, I've got a capital ship and everything's on fire 
And yes, that might be realistic, but maybe that's a little too realistic where I don't have to want to send like five of my friends back to the back of the ship to like put out the fire in the engine so we can continue flying this ship. Um, there's, there's a lot of elements to game loops that can be hyper-realistic and just our work. And uh, we, we joke about it because we've played Star Citizen a few times as a team and it's like an hour and a half in and we're ready to hop in the ship and like go on a mission. And it's just because you're waking up and climbing out of the bed and going down through the elevator and finding your gear and trying to meet people with no map. You're like, I'm standing by the yellow sign. <laughs> oh man. So I, I, I'm glad that you get, I'm glad that you guys are thinking about the fun elements of gaming. Well, yeah, I, I remember reading an article a few months ago um, where they they spoke about cleaning toilets on the metaverse, in the metaverse, you know, and like, who wants to do that? And and so we, and, and our economy in game is very much a player player economy. So it's kind of like microtransactions, but it doesn't go to us, it goes to players. Um, so, you know, mechs get damaged in the battle arena. Other players will actually spend their time um, playing mini games to repair them for currency. Um, but the mini games are fun, you know, like you're not scrubbing toilets in the metaverse. You're, you're just playing another smaller game. I just wanted to point out, um, I'm a big military sim fan. I play a lot of armor three and, uh, it's not quite fun to most people. Ooh, I love armor three. <laughs> I, I used to be in a unit and I played ops that were like six hours long and four of those hours was briefings, uh, being in the dark, using a torch to look at a map. Uh, walking 45 minutes and doing some patrols and then dying. <laughs> so, you know, in terms of fun in games, it depends on the person. But I think um, kind of scrolling back to what we're doing, it's kind of like, a, again, a wide net to, to satisfy more people. You know, I love Armour 3. Most people wouldn't, and I respect that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to point that out as well. It's a funny, it's a funny reference to, to the hyper, the hyper uh, hardcore it is also interesting in video games where you've got like um, Red Red Dead Redemption 2, which is beautiful. I really loved playing it. But like by the by the 10th guy that I was patting down for um, whatever was in his pockets, like I was over that animation. You know, like just, just make it go ching and it's in my inventory. You know, like I don't need to see it every single time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's beautiful. It's art. But... I'm playing a game, so like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think there's a there's a time and a place, and it is this fine balance between when, as a as a game studio or as an artist or as a 3D animator, are you trying to reinforce like, hey, whoa, I made that animation. You better watch it every time. Versus, okay, you saw it five times, and maybe it's faster the next five thousand times that you do it. Um, Guys, thank you so much. Uh, this has been an incredible episode. We're we're going a little bit longer than we normally do because it's such a such a good conversation here. As we wrap this episode up, for somebody who's really interested in mech-based gaming and kind of this vision, this world that you have, where should they go? What's the what's the next step for them to get involved with Supremacy, and how can they start playing? Uh, so go to supremacy.game and um and it's, there's a ton of links on there uh they can go to our wiki and read our law which is uh, quite in depth like we have a we have a creative director who works on that non-stop um join our discord that's where all the you know that's where all the conversation happens and and like john and i are, are present on there 
pretty much all the time um, without having to kind of wade into the economics they can go to supremacygame.dev and try the try the dev release uh, you know which is basically you know consequence free way to kind of intro yourself to the gameplay um, you know they, we, we have an in-game marketplace as well so they can pick up some some mechs on the cheap there um, but yeah the, the first place to go is supremacy.game there's um there's a lot there's a lot going on in that world as well I mean go to supremacy.game we've got a um, a full text adventure game where you can uh, fully voice acted with music and uh, simulated old school CRT monitors to, to explore the world's lore. Uh, we've got a secret wiki in the wiki. Uh, we've got we've got comic books, like actual first print edition comic books that are signed by our author. And um, we've got t-shirts, hoodies. You know, if you can find find your way to, to the right spot, you'll be able to get that kind of cool stuff as well. Uh, and, and also, um, you know, YouTube channels packed with stuff. There's, there's a lot of material out there. Uh, yeah, but like Alex said, first step, supremacy.game and just explore from there. That's awesome. I'll go ahead and link all of those description or links in the description of this video. So if you're listening to this and, and you definitely want to go check that out, um, you'll be able to easily get to all of it. And I just want to say thanks again, guys, for joining us today. This episode is packed with great content. Yeah, there's a lot of in-depth conversations here. I know that there's even more that I want to ask. So we're going to have to have a follow-up on this one, I think, for sure. Um, but if you're listening to uh, this on your favorite podcasting app, please go ahead and like uh, or, or subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. And if you're on YouTube and you're watching this, uh, like and subscribe to the channel as well. Uh, it helps us know what episodes are your favorite, what are some of the conversations that uh, you enjoy as a listener. And um, thank you so much, guys. Once again, we are looking forward to seeing Supremacy continue to grow. And uh, we hope to see everybody next week for the newest release of the NFT Gaming Podcast drops every Tuesday. <laughs>